I want to talk to you a little bit about that glorious impossible. Because the, glorious, the story of the glorious impossible is actually the story of Jesus Christ himself. A story that is so filled with wonder and praise and adoration. Folks, I pray that we never, ever, ever lose the wonder of the miracle of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about a childlike faith and wonder. Never lose that. You know, Christmas morning, if you are, have an upstairs bedroom set and your kids are going to run down those stairs, what do they do? You, you watch them. They're running down those stairs. They're running to the Christmas tree, you know, see what Santa brought, or, the, or in our house, the Christmas angel. You know, look what's underneath the, the trees and just get all those gifts. And they're just, there's just so much excitement there. There's this wonder, joy as they're approaching that day and that moment. Never, ever, ever lose that childlike faith. Never. Scripture tells us Jesus was talking in Matthew, the 18th chapter. He, he called the little children unto himself and he said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The wonder of a child. A child's eyes which just energize life. If you lose that wonder, if you lose that wonder, that childlike faith, then you've lost something that you cannot afford. You cannot afford to lose. I'll tell you a lot. If next time you have a chance, you can look at the kids in the nursery or look them in the cry room and, and just watch those children. I believe you can learn so much from just watching those children play. You can learn more than, than reading all the, the writings of philosophers. You know, Because there's one thing you learn from those kids as they play. It's that childlike faith. It's just that joy, that miracle of life. They just love to live. It seems like the older we grow, have a tendency to substitute the wonders the only things we can hold in our hands. And, and when there's no longer wonder in our lives, boredom and emptiness begin to cloud our existence. And there's so many people today that are just bored out of their mind because they've lost that wonder. They've lost that joy. They've lost that worship that is found in, in the simple and yet supernatural story of Jesus Christ. The glorious Impossible. You know, when, when Mary was approached by the angels, they, they told her that she was going to give birth to a child, and her response was, how can this be? His response was, well, with man it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There's that glorious impossible. We're going to go into Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at, starting at verse, sorry, Matthew chapter 1. And looking at verse 18 for our text this morning, it says this, This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with a child through the Holy Spirit. And so there's the story. There's the story of God becoming a man. It's the story of Jesus Christ. And our text is going to be found in verses 18 through 25 and getting ourselves into Luke chapter 2 and the verse 2 verses there. And as we read those verses in a few moments, I want you to pay attention to three specific names that are given for Christ. Actually, if you go through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelations, you're going to find there's over 300 names in Scripture describing our Lord. But I think these three that we're going to look at this morning actually best demonstrate just exactly who He is and how glorious and how impossible the story is. And yet, it's made possible because of what Christ has done for us and for who He truly is. Reading from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, 
She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her, divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife because what she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet that a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took, took Mary home to his wife and but they had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And they gave him the name Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw stars in the east and had come to worship, worship him. As I looked through those verses of Scripture, did you pick out the names? Number one, he is called Jesus, a name above all names. Secondly, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And thirdly, he is seen as the king. He is the king. And I think that those three names, Jesus, Emmanuel, and king, they describe the glorious impossible. I'll tell you what, as I was thinking, putting the message, I think how it's impossible for me to actually describe the truth that we're about to hear, the truth about who Jesus truly is. But then I felt like, well, I'm not the only one because anybody who stood behind a pulpit at any time and tried to, you know, attempted to, to speak of Jesus and the story of his grace and his power have come down to feel the very same thing. It's impossible for us to be able to share and describe exactly what he is. So, here I go. I'm going to give it my best shot. So hold on to your seat, amen? We're going to talk a little bit about this glorious impossible, the glorious impossible who is, in fact, our Savior. The Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord, amen. And Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, and she shall give birth to a son, and you, what? Are going to give him the name Jesus, because he will, what? Save his people from their sins. You're to give him the name Jesus, Joshua. Yahshua. Which, you, you, it means Yahweh. It means Yahweh. Jehovah saves. God will save. He's going to save us from what? Scripture says he's going to save us from our sins, that's the real name of Jesus Christ. He is, the name Jesus is the saving name. And so we don't have to really wonder at all why did Jesus came to this earth, why the Father would send his Son. We don't have to wonder at all because the Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us why. Luke chapter 19 verse tells us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And then the angels announced in Luke chapter 2, Today in the day, city in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Even the Samaritans over in John chapter 4 tell us that they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but we have what? Heard for ourselves and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. The Apostle Paul would tell us, Titus chapter 3, he would say, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, when it comes right down to it, Jesus then is the one who comes to provide salvation. And salvation is still a word used today. Think about it. You can see that word salvation and the idea of deliverance in movies that are shown today. 
you flip the channel and all of a sudden you're watching a movie where that there's this family who has, is stranded, an airplane crashes and they're stranded in the upper mountains of, of northern California and the snow's coming in and, and, and they, they're going to have to be rescued. They don't have a little bit of time and, and they're trying, waiting and hoping and putting the flares up. And, you know, back home there's a family, their family's waiting in, in, in anticipation that they'll somehow be saved because time is getting short. They need to get the rescuers out there and they're, they're weeping and they're fearful and, and all this is happening and, and the storm is coming in and, and you wonder, oh no, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden the telephone rings and they get a message, we've rescued, they're saved. It's okay. And this is joy and glee. And you know you were watching a Hallmark drama movie. But you get kind of a sense of the idea of salvation and deliverance. What it truly, truly means. Amen. That celebration of joy. I hope we never forget September 11th. The day that forever mark our nation's history. And to watch in amazement how the firefighters and all those that would rush into the building to rescue, to save those who were perishing. I started thinking, you know, that's the same kind of word that's used to describe Jesus himself. Because he himself came on a mission of salvation. He came to seek and to save. A seek and search mission. A mission to rescue us. To all those who are perishing. And you have to ask a question, you know, what can I do? What can I do to save myself? What can I do if, if I'm lost? What can I do to save myself? The answer is absolutely nothing. It's impossible for us to save ourselves. We cannot, you know, someone say, pull yourself up to your... My father used to say that, you know. Pull yourself, pull yourself up with those, you know, bootstraps. Pull your, how can I do that? Have you tried doing that? You fall down. It's impossible trying to do that, you know. And we can't. We cannot pull ourselves up on our spiritual bootstraps. It's just impossible for us to do that. We can't. There's nothing we can do to merit the love and grace and favor and forgiveness of our God. There's no amount of promises we can make, amount of promises to make changes we can make, to do even better, because we can't save ourselves. We're hopeless and helpless to save ourselves. Here's the thing which distinguishes us among all the other religions of the world. And I'll tell you what, you know I hate that bumpy stuff. <laughs> drives me nuts. You know? Because the difference between us as Christians and all the other religious world is that Jesus came to reconcile and rescue the world to himself. He came to be the only way. He came to be our Savior. All of us, every single one of us in this place have broken God's commandments. We have broken. We've put our will and mind over our God. Whether we, we set out to do it or not, it's just our nature to do that, and so we have. And it's those sins, that attitude that separates us eternally from our God. But Jesus comes and He bridges that gap that existed between a holy God and sinful man. He came on a mission of mercy. He came to this earth. And therefore He came to cure the, the cure. He's the cure for the common sin made it possible for us to be saved a savior who was born who was wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger he came to this earth we might go to heaven he was born so we could be born again he is jesus our god who saves think about that i found this interesting this stat in the last few moments that you were listening to this message the beginning of it over 900 babies have been born on this planet earth Took me a while to count this. It took a while because it gets even more involved. In fact, there's 350,000 babies a day arrive on this earth. That's 15,000 per hour. That's 245 per minute. 
babies coming to this world, being born day after day after day, hour after hour after hour. And if you don't believe those numbers, count them for yourself. Ever since the dawn of creation, minute by minute, children have been born. But of all these babies born, there was only one born to save. His name was Jesus. Jesus, the only one who made it possible for us to have eternal life. The only glorious Savior. He made the impossible possible. He is the glorious impossible. Why? Because He is our Savior. And of all the babies born on this earth, He was the only one that was unique. He was the one who was prophesied that He would come. He was also prophesied He would die. He was born to die. And yet He would rise again to be our Savior, our Lord, to save us from our sins. And not just save us from our sins, but the consequences of that sin. So not only does He save us from the grip and the damage of sin in our lives, and the bondage of the sin, He also saves us from eternal circumstances of our sin. And that's what we ultimately need. Every single person on the face of the earth yet to come, and who have come, needed, have needed, have needed a Savior. Because apart from Him, we're facing a sure and certain judgment. Apart from Jesus Christ, there's absolutely nothing but certain death. But because of what He's done for us, we turn our despair into hope and our sorrow into, and our sadness into joy and our fear, He turns it into peace. He is the glorious impossible. Something we could never do ourselves. He does for us. Listen to the way the Scripture puts it here in Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. Because of His mercy, He saved us through the washing of the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by His grace, we might become what? Heirs. Having hope of eternal life. To read that again. But when the kindness and love of God, of our Savior, appeared. What did He do, folks? And why did He do it? Because we're good folks. Not because of the righteous things we have done. But because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Notice how he does it. He pours it out. He pours that out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now we've been what? Justified. Just as if we haven't sinned. Justified by his grace. That we might become what? Heirs. Having the hope of eternal life. Sin destroys. But the Savior gives us life. We are saved. In the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, the blood that was cursing, cruising through the, the body, the baby's veins with the blood of God, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The Scripture says, and by His stripes we have been healed. And by His blood we are saved and we are forgiven. Go back to the Old Testament. We recognize the Day of Atonement. In fact, Yom Kippur is actually coming up pretty soon. It's not already. It's actually gone, I think. In the Old Testament, there was a day when the Jews would get to, Jewish folks would get together, and on that day would be a day of atonement, and the high priest would come, and they would have two goats, 
Two goats they would use for the ceremony. And one goat they would, the priest would take, the high priest would put his hand upon the head of the goat and, and, and symbolizes the transferring of the nation's sin on that one goat. And then they would take that goat and they would slaughter that goat and they would offer up the sacrifice and the blood. They would sprinkle it about the land, around the altar. And at that time, the people would cry out, On this day, let our sins be covered. Then the high priest would look at the other goat, who's freaking out by now. And they would, you know, you know, poor little guy. That's where, that's where the idea comes, you go first. <laughs> and he would look at the other goat, and he would take that goat, and he would carry it out into the wilderness. He would place them in a place where he could not get back. In a crevice, in a, down a valley, somewhere where the goat could not get back. And it symbolized God carrying our sins away. And he would leave that goat there. As it symbolized, again, God taking the sin away from the people. And year after year, they would have to do that. And year after year, they would have to sacrifice bulls and goats and slay the lambs. Until Jesus came. Mary's little lamb. Who would take all of our sins once for all. All of us who would believe. The Father would lay upon Jesus all of our sins and He would carry it all away. In fact, is that word forgiveness literally means carried away. Scripture would tell us, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed, He has removed our transgressions from us. You say, well, Pastor Bob says, how far is He, how far is, is the west? Well, to quote, a famous philosopher from Toy Story, Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. Amen. That's so far as the sin has been taken from us. From east is to the west. Infinity and beyond. Infinity and beyond. What we need to do, folks, we need to stop remembering what God has forgotten. We need to stop remembering what God has forgotten. It's so easy for us to live our lives in the past, always looking back, always thinking about what I have done and what could I do and what can I do to make God happy or what can I do to please Him. You know, I'm not worthy. Stop remembering what God has forgiven. East as far as the east is from the west. Because the word forgiveness literally means canceling a debt. Because Jesus paid a debt He did not owe and we owed a debt we could not pay. Folks, He is that glorious impossible. He is Jesus, our Savior. But then I notice He's not only the glorious, impossible Savior, but He's also, Scripture would tell us, He's Emmanuel. With us be God. With us is God. And when I read this passage of Scripture, dealing with this, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, which is a, 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 a parallel to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and a virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That would tell us that God is now personally and permanently with us. He is Emmanuel, our Emmanuel. If they could go back into the Old Testament, we've studied this, how that Jesus, God revealed Jesus. He revealed Himself through the tabernacle and through the temple. We recognize that throughout the past Old Testament time, that God's presence would show up with glorious power at specific times and in sovereign times. And God's Spirit would move in certain ways in certain times among His people. And we understand that God's omnipresent, but in a very unique sense, in which Christ was born, God became a man. His presence 
Emmanuel, who's now forever and fully and finally with us. You go back in the Scripture, you're going to find that God was first revealed in the Bible, His Word. And finally, now He's revealed in a body. From the very first leaf of the pages, we now have Jesus in life. He is personally and permanently with us. And therefore, He shares in our sorrows and He carries away all of our sins and our griefs. He was touched by our hurts and our pains. He suffered all that humanity was suffering. Because He was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. He was born, let me go back, He was born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The what? The virgin will give birth. The virgin will give birth. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophecy. The prophecy and Isaiah chapter 7 repeated there in Matthew chapter 1. Virgin birth. And the reason why the virgin birth is so important is because God is going to become a man. And it's a sign of his deity. He comes from heaven to earth. He comes from heaven to earth through the portals of a, a virgin's womb. He's not a product of man whatsoever. He is rather the Holy Son of God. This child was fully human and fully divine. He was both God and man. And no wonder the Apostle Paul, who never lost the wonder, said this. Above all the question and mystery of God, godliness is great. He appeared in body and vindicated by the Spirit, who was seen by the angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. So Pastor Bob, how can this be? Look at first society and say, it's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of God. First John chapter 1, verse 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wasn't some angel. He wasn't a created being. He was the Word. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. He could not be a created being because He's outside of creation. He created all things. Verse 14 says, And the world became, Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Emmanuel. We have seen His glory, the glory of the One, the Only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The eternal God. Scripture tells us the eternal God became a man. He was 100% God and 100% man. He wasn't half God and half man. He wasn't all man and no God. He wasn't all God and no man. He was the God-man. The glorious impossible. The glorious impossible. That's the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And it de demonstrates His deity. He is that supernatural Savior. The infinite became incarnate finite, became an infant. The eternal God stepped into a body, a baby. Ultimately becomes a man who would, who would weep as we weep. Who would be tempted as we are tempted and tested and tried, but without sin. You know, I think about this, this tremendous drama when it comes to salvation. That God has revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And Philip would ask the question, Show us the Father. Show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, 
Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I'm talking about the glorious impossible. The one who is Emmanuel. Of all the prophecies and all the things which the Lord spoke and repeated in Scripture, you know what the one line is that he repeats over and over and over again? The most repeated promise of Scripture. We love the promises of God. We put them on refrigerators. We, we put them on our mirrors. We put them on our bumper stickers. And that's the promises of God. You know what the one repeated promise over and over again in Scripture is? Are you ready for it? It's worth the admission you pay to get in here. Here it comes. I am with you. That's the one. You know, we get digging, we get digging deep, and we try to figure out all these different. It's the simple one. I'm with you. I'm with you. Sickness and health, hard times and good times. I'm with you. The problem is so often we get our minds focused on the thing going on and the circumstances that we're not there. We're not able to hear that small, still voice. We're not able to see the leading. We're not able to recognize His grace and His mercy. And yet He promises, I am with you. I am with you. Oh, that we take time and just tune out the sounds of the world around us. Get into His presence. Let Him speak. I'll tell you what, just knowing that He is with me, nothing has to change around me. Just knowing that He's with me enough for me. And that's the promise he says over and over and over again. I am with you. I am with you. I'm with you now and forever. That's the glorious impossible that is our God Emmanuel. And there's another title that we read up there. What was the other title? We saw him as Jesus, our Savior. We saw them as Emmanuel, right? And then he was glorious and possible is Emmanuel, the dweller and uniter with our God. And then there is the glorious and possible Jesus. He is king. He is king. Wise men. Wise men from the east. They, they wandered. They wanted to know. They were seeking who Jesus was, where he was, that they might worship him. Now, I'll tell you, just let me throw it out to you. He did not, they did not show up on the night in that stable, okay? Just so we know that. And, it, you know, there's a lot of times I'll put something up and think, in fact, the glorious wonder, I wanted to put that in there. And they have one scene where the wise men come. And I said, I can't show that. Because they didn't show up at the stable. Showed up a couple years later in the city of Jerusalem. And he was kind of a little kid, you know. But it doesn't change the fact that they looked. They wanted to. Where is he who was born king? Born king. The king who is Lord of life, Lord of all, Christ. He is king yesterday, today, and forever. Even at his birth, in that simplicity and humility, he was worshipped as king. The humble shepherds would come. They would bow down before him in the manger throne. Wise men would come years, a couple years later, seeking him from the east to pay homage, to express their allegiance and bring him gifts that were worthy of the king. The night of his birth, the angels would break in chorus and they would praise him in the heavenlies as king. The king was born. Even King Herod recognized that murderous man who threatened in every way he possibly could. It was simply a, a, a puppet. 
of Rome, who was a fraud in this man. But he knew. He knew the one who was born would rival all the kingdoms, including his own puppet kingdom. He knew that. He sought to have him killed, to destroy a man who had no authority, no power. Even he recognized Christ as king. But Jesus did come. He came as king. He was born to reign and to rule the hearts of men and women. Then that's the, that's the kind of kingdom that he brings with us. Jesus was asked, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, he, asked, he was asked, people, where is your kingdom? He said, my kingdom is within you. He was speaking when he spoke those words. He was speaking as a monarch. He was speaking with the authority of a king. And this king demands our allegiance. He demands our devotion to him. And I'll tell you right now, in this Christmas season and throughout our entire lives, if we don't understand the fact that Jesus is king, if we don't recognize he is king now and forevermore, then we've missed the whole point of who he is. Because the Christmas season is not... (laughs) It's not just enough for us to you know, rally around the Christmas tree and give gifts to folks that have everything anyway. We need to remember who Jesus is. He was born a king. Babe was born a king. Born a king. Christmas is a time for us to worship. Born a king. And if we miss this, we miss, miss life. We've missed the kingdom of God. That he is, in fact, the undisputed, unrivaled king of our hearts. He's not only Emmanuel, the indweller, God with us, not only Savior, but he's a ruler of life. And you cannot and you dare not, do not reject the king. But unfortunately, too many folks, too many folks, have enthroned their own desires, their own wants, and their own hearts, and their own lives. And they've not welcomed the king. But the king was born, the babe, and lived the life of humanity, and he died and he rose again so we could have life eternal. Eternal life. Christmas is a call for us to worship. To worship the king. To worship the king. He was born a king. He was born a king. The question then is this. Does Jesus reign in you? Have you bowed your knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords? Some say, well, I, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I, I believe in Jesus. Some say, I believe in Christmas. I recognize it. In fact, is I went as far as, believe it or not, I've joined a church. I even give money. Good. But have you bowed your knee in your life and surrendered the life of Jesus to the King? Here's the bottom line. We're talking about this on Wednesday night that the percentage of individuals who come out to make a commitment to Christ and then the percentage of those people who actually continue to walk in Christ is really, really low. It's like one out of ten who actually make a commitment to Christ and then go and ultimately just kind of go back to whatever they were doing. And we talked about the reason why. Because today the message oftentimes behind the pulpit is all the good things, the peace, the mercy, the joy, the, all that good thing that God wants to give us. And then when people give their lives to Christ, the Word of God comes in and all of a sudden it's causing us to find change in our life and to become more like Him. It's talking about commitment. And people say, I didn't sign up for this. Because I wanted my feelings taken care of. I had all these ideas that I wanted to fulfill in myself. And I thought God would do that. The church would do that. And all of a sudden He's asking something. It's going to cry. I don't want to do that. 
Because if you're not willing to turn your life over, trusting in Him to be your master control of your life, to set aside your precepts and principles and begin to embrace His precepts and principles, you'll never recognize and never will you ever see the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not as a Savior. If you never surrender to Him, then bottom line is you're totally lost, no matter how good you think you might be. Totally lost. And one day, one day, you're going to be banished forever from the king and from his kingdom. And so the question has to be on our minds. Have you received the king? Is he reigning in you? I will tell you something. The same scripture, the same Bible that told us that Jesus was going to come, that he was going to be born in a manger in Bethlehem, laid there, It's the same scripture that tells us that he's coming again in the second heaven. It's the same scripture. It was right then and it's right now. The hope that we have in his coming. He's coming again. But this time around, the second time, he's not coming in humility. Scripture is very clear. The second time around, he's coming in great honor and glory and power and majesty. The king is coming. And once in a while, we begin to wonder, you know, everything's going on around us, what's going on? It's kind of waiting a little bit. We talked about this last week and what's going on and why is it taking such a long time and things look like they're getting worse. Why isn't he here to straighten things out? I want you to, to listen to what Paul said to, to Timothy. He said this, to keep this commandment without spot or blame until the what? Appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. I always get ticked off when I hear all these people prophesying that Jesus is going to come next month. Really? How do you know that? Because I'm super spiritual. Good. How's that working out for you? I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you the one, the one indicator to me that the return of Jesus Christ is close. You know what it is? It's not the wars and rumors of wars, because we always have that. Jesus talked about. Do you know one thing is? In all the world, he's heard the gospel. That, to me, is the sign of times. And you know, when we begin to study some things, and some in purse, for instance, and others, and the Wakewood Bible interpreters, and they start telling you how that we're so close to having all the, the different nations and all the different languages being translated in Scripture. We're about to that, that place. To me, that is the sign. That's the sign of his return. That and that alone. Always felt that way. When I was growing up, we always said, oh, the rumors of wars, this is going to happen here, and look at this over here, this president over here, and this war. We always know this is coming. And the study of scriptures that that's what it is. When all the world is lost, that's the sign. Pay attention to that sign. You want, you want Jesus to come quicker? Donate to the Bible translators. <laughs> Half the service will take up a special offering. <laughs> He said, and God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immoral, immortal, immoral, immortal, who lives in an approachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. The king is coming. He's coming again. Remember last week we talked about already but not yet. Already, he is. He came as the king came, and when the king came, the kingdom came. All we're waiting now is for the coronation. Already, but not yet. He's already king. The kingdom has been established within our lives. Now it's the coronation. The coronation is coming. There's a party on the way. 
And there's an invitation being sent out today. Remember we talked about between Good Friday and Easter, there's Saturday, the day that we work. That's where we are. And the invitation's gone out to all those that would respond. And the invitation goes out to everyone. This is the birthday party of the king. Everybody's been invited. That means you've been invited. I've been, we've all been invited, but you've got to accept the invitation. You must be responsible and respond. You say, well, Pastor, how much is it going to cost me? <laughs> Initially, nothing. <laughs> but as you get into the Word, it's, it's like, there'll be some changes being made in your life. But here's the praise of the Lord. It's grace and mercy. He carries us through this stuff. And in fact, I think that we make it harder because he brings in, he wants to lead us and direct us, and we fight. We fight to hold back to what we are and who we are. We fight it. Or do we just give in? Look at to me. Listen to me. He paid, he paid for our salvation full in the blood, his blood. He alone has provided that way. He's the only way, which means everything that we need, ever will need, he's provided. If we just accept that invitation of the king and come to him. Receive him both not only as Savior, but as Lord. And until he returns, until we experience that Easter morn, so to speak, that coronation time, our desire should be to advance his kingdom through a life that's surrendered to him. We do it every single day. One, and because one glorious day, one glorious, impos impossible day, we're going to stand before him. We're going to bow before him. And we're going to worship him forever as King of kings and Lord of lords. This church, he is the glorious impossible. He is our Savior. He is Emmanuel. He is our King. He is. Amen. He certainly is. Praise his holy name. And so it comes back to that same message at this time of Christmas and throughout the entire year. We bring a message to those around saying, have you received the King? Is Jesus reigning and ruling in your heart? Is God with you in the person of Christ Jesus and if not, if you don't know for certain that you've been saved, then what a joy I have, I have to, to encourage you. See, see, I'm inviting you right now on the behalf of our King. I'm just a herald of the King. And I invite you to receive and respond to the invitation to come to Him. You come to Him and give your life. It's not that difficult. I'm still pretty much a nut. I've been serving Him for a while. And I do not try to become holier than anyone else. In fact, is when people find out that I'm a preacher, they go, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm just a preacher in, in jeans. You know, I don't, you know, that's who I am. You know? And now I say to people, now that you know I'm a preacher, are you going to treat me different now? No, 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 thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm not going to treat you any different. You treat me any different. Give us from our sins to carry them away, to separate our sins as far as the east is from the west, to infinity and beyond. We can be forgiven. Fully cleansed and changed and covered by God's grace. Now Emmanuel can dwell within. He can change. Oh, <laughs> praise God. The very presence of God will be within us. The King will rule in our lives and reign and take control and command. And all those things that we go through and we deal with, praise God, we'll begin to see a solution as we apply those principles of God's Word going to walk according to his will and marriage. Because I think it's about time some folks just stop, you know, running around trying to live up and trying to control their own little petty kingdom. Don't just quit and give up. Read the end of the book. Realize how it all turns out. Get on the right side because you know, if you're not on the right side, you lose. 
you reign over our Lord. Reign of our life over to our Lord. You say, well, Pastor Bob, how do I do that? Well, it's not that difficult. It's about a prayer. It's about just praying and recognizing who we are in Christ Jesus, who we're not in Him, and recognizing the importance of allowing Him to come into our life. And it's not, you know, it's not taking up church membership. It's not, you don't have to draw blood or anything like that. It's not like that. But simply saying, you know, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin. And my sin we're talking about isn't, you know, that I stole some ice cream when I was three years of age or, or something. No, no, it, it's my will over God's will. I've been living my life according to my will and my way, and I, and I say, it just messed me up. And so we acknowledge that. Forgive me of my will over your will, Lord. Teach me. Give me that promise of hope in the future with you forever. Help me to be saved, to be transformed and changed one day at a time. That I might be with you in your kingdom forever. Until that day comes, I want to live in the power of your spirit, anointed by your word. I'm going to screw up. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm not always going to do things like I ought to do. Thank God for your grace. I'm going to come back. I'm going to make excuses. I'm going to identify those areas in my life. Give your power. Give your word. Be transformed by it. Your choice. Because I think it's about time we just stop. So many just stop running around. Own little pretty, pretty kingdom. I tell you what. If at any time in your life, at any time even service this morning or later on, you just kind of make that kind of prayer request. Receive Jesus to save you and invite him in. I'll tell you what, you respond to that invitation. I can assure you that he'll do whatever he promised he will do. He will. Because he made the statement, he said this, that talking to his disciples, he said, notice this, anyone, what is this? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take his cross and follow me. It's open to everyone and anyone. I'll never cast them out. I won't cast them out. Listen, you don't have to do anything to be worthy. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm not going to heaven because I have the right name. In fact, I found out recently that in the line of Larson's, I am the third cousin removed. I don't like that removed part. I met another cousin recently, and I said, all right, tell me right now, are you one of the removed cousins, or are you the real cousin? She said, I'm a real cousin. I said, I hate you. Story of my life. Third cousin removed. One of, our, one of my cousins up in Sweden, and they went to the church where my grand great great grandfather and dad were married, and they were school, and they came back with this long list of their own blood. My third cousin removed. why I'm glad to be part of the kingdom of God. Nothing that I have done. I'm not saved because I'm some kind of preacher. Not because I live some kind of good life. I try to live a good life. I can't be good enough to get to heaven on my own. It's a glorious impossibility. It's the glorious impossibility of Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to be saved. And so I thank Him for the eternal life and the promise. I openly confess Him today in my life and follow the rest of my life. Amen. And that's what Jesus said. Come after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And follow me. Let's pray. Father, I want to praise you for your goodness and for your grace for each one of us. And if anyone here this morning has responded, is responding in their hearts to that invitation, Lord, I pray that you would give them the grace to be able to stand before you in recovery. Confidence to know that the work that you have begun in their lives will be continued until you return. Thank you, Lord, for that gracious impossible work 
being done in our lives if we stand together. Because this is a congregation. We are never stronger than the weakest one among us. And so therefore we need to encourage one another and to love one another. And Father, I ask you to continue to pray that this place would be a place, a haven of safety. Let it be real, Lord. Let your work be real. And let it be experienced, Lord. Let that supernatural work of salvation be realized in our lives. The glorious promise that you've given to us, that have come to us. I pray that all in your precious name. Amen. And Jesus said, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will what? Also acknowledge him before the angels of our God. The verse goes on to say that if we don't acknowledge him, that he'll not acknowledge us. And that's not really what I want to hear. That's not what I really want to hear. Amen. And amen. I want to close this morning, which is a time of prayer and praise. The altars will be open. I'm going to song a couple songs we're going to play in the background, which is instrumentals, and then we'll go into the last song and be able to give God the glory. Let's just spend some time, spend some time praising him and loving him and in prayer. And I believe that God will move in a mighty way. Amen. You know, as I was growing up, we had times of prayer like this. And I'll tell you what, there were so many miracles that occurred just in the pew with folks praying to our Lord. It didn't have to have all around the altar, people laying on hands and oil. I mean, those things are possible. We do that. It's great. But I was raised in a church where we simply would take time at the end of service and just pray for the congregation. And I'm telling you what, these lives were changed and transformed. Because if we don't experience the power of our God and enjoy the time of worship and praise, we might as well go to a church and just kind of come up with some kind of a social gathering and have a bunch of friends we can talk with. And, and that's about where it's at. But we need to be in assembly together so we can worship and praise Him and get the glory and just experience the glory of our God. Amen? In a special way. And that's what it needs to be. No religion. Okay, the altars are open. Let's spend some time before Him and expect God to touch. Some time to praise, prayer and praise. To the highest name of all. To the highest name of all. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Good to be in the house of our God. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning to listen to your word, to be stirred in our hearts, to recognize one more time the impossible, the glorious impossible. You are the glorious impossible. Our salvation is the glorious impossible be transformed and changed. Glorious impossible. But you made it all possible. Father, I pray you'll touch each heart and soul and mind as we leave this place. We continue to grow in your grace, allowing your spirit to work in our lives, Lord. We serve you not for what we can get out of you, but Father, for who you truly are. We recognize, Lord Jesus, every day of our lives we need more of your mercy and your grace. But we can celebrate the wonder of this new life, the wonder of this kingdom. Dig deep within the scriptures to see and to hear those promises that apply to our lives may be transformed and changed and used by you, Lord God, and led by you. We can find our fullness of life. We receive the glory and the honor, we pray. Church said, Amen and Amen. Folks, you're